0: So, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, and a Christian preacher walk into a podcast. It sounds like a joke, but it's really a friendship.
1: I am Omar Shaheed, Imam of Masjid as salam
2: And I'm Rabbi Jonathan Case from Beth Shalom Synagogue. And I'm Rev. Ellen Fowler-Skidmore
0: of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. All of us gathered in Columbia, South Carolina, to welcome you to our podcast, Abraham's Table. In our conversations, we've said many times that a commitment to love, God, self, and neighbor, is at the core of all three of our faiths. Cornel West famously once said, Justice is what love looks like in public. So today we tackle how the love commanded by our faiths is to be lived out in the public sphere. How do Muslims, Jews, and Christians view the relationships between love and justice and equality? In our national debate, what justice and equality mean are the source of much conflict. The Declaration of Independence declares We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. But that promise of equality was not initially extended to women or people of color. In recent years, the words equality and justice have become divisive. What political partisans mean by justice and equality are often miles apart. The right fears that the terms are euphemisms for socialism or communism. The left fears that injustice and inequalities are baked into our nation's institution laws and structures, and both sides seem to be willing to burn down the institutions to get at the problem. But for many, justice has become a partisan concept, and Lady Justice seems to have removed her blindfold. As people of faith, we commit ourselves to live in love, Love requires us to act for the good of the other. So what do love and justice look like from an Islamic, Jewish, or Christian perspective? What does our faith require of
2: us? Powerful opener for a very deep discussion. I'm glad we're heading in this direction.
1: It's needed, badly needed, for the public discourse. Mm
2: -hmm. And, And maybe
0: what we say is we all three... Of our congregations share the struggle. I want a commitment to is what came to mind first, but the, the real word for me would be our three congregations have committed themselves to struggle with answers to these questions. The three of us participate in a, a local nonprofit uh, justice ministry. Ours is called More Justice, it comes from the Dart Center. But it's a local affiliate in which faith congregations get together to work for justice. And, and I don't know about, you, know, you can speak for your congregations, but in my congregation, engagement in a justice ministry has not been a foregone conclusion. There's been debate in our congregation about, should we do this? This is uncomfortable for us. What do you mean by justice? Do you all have, have you had the same struggles? Maybe not.
2: My deeper concern beyond the existential one that you posed is if a person does not feel themselves personally afflicted by injustice, what impetus is there for them to rise up and say there's got to be a significant change going on to rouse people out of their indifference is the biggest challenge because everything's okay, everything's fine i don't you know there's no need to protest, no need to talk to our officials about justice because I'm fine. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we the justice ministry cycle begins with house meetings where we are to share the things that keep us up at night. And the challenge from the, the prompts has always been talk, not in general, about big worldwide things that keep you up at night, but what are the things that affect you. And one of the learnings out of our house meetings, last time we held one, one of my young... Attorney said, "Nothing keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. I have a safe house. I have money enough. I have a job that I enjoy. I have health care. I'm really fine
2: right yeah that, I think that's the biggest danger that we, that we face right now
0: unless we understand that love and the command to love God, self and neighbor means." As Martin Luther King said, if there's injustice anywhere, it threatens justice everywhere. That Omar's hurt is not just Omar's hurt. It's also my hurt. Mm-hmm. Jonathan's hurt is my hurt. But that's a hard link that sometimes gets lost.
2: I think that's where religion becomes so, such a power, powerful mm-hmm. force. Yeah. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, you've got the phrase, righteousness, or better translated as, justice, justice you shall pursue. Not once, right? Not one justice, but twice naming the word justice that you shall pursue. Because perhaps lethargy, inertia, is more powerful than getting up and saying, yeah, I've got to be my brother's keeper because if I'm not my brother's keeper, what value is my life and am I doing what God expects me to do? And, you know, if I can be a little, drill down a little bit deeper in that, if I'm not going to help my brother or sister when they're in trouble— what makes me think they're going to come to my rescue when I need them?
1: Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, the question that you posed from the beginning about the uh, congregations. Mm-hmm. There is a recurring theme in the Quran. It comes up several times. It says, I'm going to read it, it's chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, O oh, you who believe, O oh, you who have faith. It's not just talking to individuals, it's talking to the congregation or the the group. Stand out firmly for God as witnesses to fair dealing. And let not the hatred of others to you make you swerve to wrong or depart from justice. Hmm. Be just that is next to righteousness. And fear Almighty God, for Almighty God is well acquainted with all that you do. So justice, is, it, it rings in our ears from time to time. So we can't be a people that just uh, receive injustice and don't speak out against it. And we can't be a people that see injustice and don't work against it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Abraham Joshua Heschel said something very much akin to that. Mm-hmm. He said that the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love Indifference.
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah, Good, amen. So then, when we are uh, so struggle, I, you know, th- again, the struggle for us is I, I don't think there's anybody in my congregation who would say, No, we're not, we're for injustice. <laughs> <laughs> we stand for injustice. But they would say, wh- And I've had folks say, What do you mean by justice? Mm. That's the partisan point, because justice, depending on your vantage, Mm -hmm. is different
1: yes you mentioned about the the gentleman said he doesn't worry uh he sleeps well yeah he's comfortable where he is
0: and and he was sad he said i recognize that's a problem but (laughs) if you ask me about injustice i realize i i am i benefit from Mm -hmm. the way things are set up so he was not saying that proudly. He was saying it in a spirit of repentance and recognizing, and so he's actually signed on to become a team leader in our justice ministry Mm -hmm. because of that recognition.
1: Well, let's go back to something that that was mentioned uh, in terms of the, what it said in terms of the preamble to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, that has been petitioned and fought against and expanded now. So it includes, it includes women, it includes people of color. And I know that there was a time when that injustice was heaped upon me because I'm African-American and I grew up uh, in this country. And it didn't feel good. <laughs> it did not feel good. And I wouldn't want to see anyone else suffer what me, my race, had to suffer. And I know the same thing. You'll say the same thing. And I know that you will say the same thing in terms of the woman issue. Mm -hmm. So I can't see anyone just being in their right mind, being afraid of justice. But I also want to say in terms of justice, how how do we uh, deal with the people who have turned it into a political, what would you call it? Political what? Football. Yeah, because...
0: Hot potato.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because I heard someone say in reference to some people, and I hear it sometimes often uh, in on CNN when I listen to it, uh, people need to go to work. People need to get up and go get a job. So, I, and then they say the progressives are the are the Democrats want to feed these people, want to take care of them, want to turn this into a guaranteed social,
0: income and everybody yeah. have the same. Yeah.
1: Yes, I'm hearing that, but I want to differentiate in terms of what we're saying in reference Mm -hmm. to what justice is uh, 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 against what the political uh, sway is now.
0: So how would you define the relationship between justice and what I'm hearing you say is equality, meaning everybody have the same?
1: Everybody's recognized as having the same rights, the same freedoms. The same opportunities.
2: Sure, that's absolute. Yeah, but I think uh, we can go a little further than that. But not only be recognized as the same and equal in that sense, but also have the same opportunities. Yes, because if somebody lives in one part of town and another person lives in another part of town, and in the first part the school system is great and the kid has every opportunity, and the second one the school system is subpar. Yes. Well, we as a society have to see that justice is done, that everyone has equal opportunity, not that everyone is the same. God forbid everyone should be the same. You know, we look different, God created us differently Mm -hmm. because we have different attributes and different abilities and different gifts to bring to the world, not the same.
1: I I, I go back to what you were saying. I I think the the equal access to opportunities and also at the same time being able to take advantage of of those opportunities. Now I, I'm going to play a little. I, so, I, don't, I don't want to play your devil's advocate. <laughs> what were you saying? What were you going to say?
0: So I'm just going to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. But I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. But you're saying equality should mean it should mean equality of access to opportunity. But we are not the same. What we, uh, whether it's standard of living or mm-hmm. abilities, we're not equal in that regard. That somebody, I am never going to be an astrophysicist. I am not equal in that way in, ter- in terms of the way my mind works. Yeah. And that that's okay. That's not what we're after is guaranteed income and and sort of a the yeah. idea that the far right would say it's a right. socialistic or communistic. Right. We're going to take from those who have and give to those who don't.
1: Yes, God created all of us with the same uh, recognition in terms of our human essence. But opportunities... Are not there in many situations mm-hmm. opportunities are not. so the inequality would be in the opportunities, not the individual that 's what i 'm saying now i 'm going to show you something else I, I said I was going to advocate uh, just, i won 't see the devil's advocate I say you could be an angel an <laughs> when when you go back and when I go back, especially this month and look at the Emancipation proclamation there were we were so-called set free, but our starting point, the starting point, was was uh, unequal. So we had, and then we had, because you're dealing with some spiritual and psychological issues that you just can't say, hey, go on about your business after you've been damaged so much.
0: Enslaved for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah. And so eventually, uh, with the Jim Crow and all those things in the way, trying to remove those or removing those things things and now situated so we can make progress. Still some impediments, but uh, now you're situating, situating people so they can make progress. So the inequality carries with it some psychological and spiritual concerns that must be addressed. If that's understood too in the process, then that's all part of uh, what I call justice.
2: I think there's something to be said validated by what you said, that we all bear the scars of the past. And we walk with them, we bear them through, through our life. And those scars, whether they're personal or communal, remain as a part of our psyche. And part of a just society is the willingness to recognize that exists yeah. and to be able to meet, readjust our vision so that we can recognize that people are starting from different starting points. Yes. But what does that look like? What does justice require then? And that's where the
0: conversation about reparations and all the civil rights legislation and and entrance into colleges—all of that's up for play now. What does that actually look like, in y'all's opinion?
2: Opportunity is invaluable. So, if an African American or somebody's Jewish or somebody's Catholic walks into a place and is looking for a job. The person who's going to get go offering the job has to be blind. Mm-hmm. You talked about in the introduction about justice having the mask or the blind ripped away from her eyes, and so that she's prejudiced. Well, we have to restore that that blindness. We have to restore that ability to be able mm-hmm. to see people as they are, and not with the prejudicial glasses that we're wearing when they're sitting before us. Because somebody's dressed impeccably, and they can afford a suit from a high fashion store. And somebody who doesn't have the money who's coming for the interview that you know is equally qualified, I mean, better qualified, but they may be looked down upon mm-hmm. because they're not dressed as well or because the color of the skin is different or because they're speaking with an accent.
1: Right. It's a the lot there. I, I, I can smell <laughs>
2: something burning in this room. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> My brain won't keep up. I'm trying to think of what I want to say. I hear you, and yet I know... At, at least from my vantage as a, a woman in a male-dominated field, that I could walk into the room equally qualified, but it not be perceived in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Human nature gravitates to like. And so if somebody, you can say equally qualified, but if somebody comes in in a suit, and somebody comes in and not in a suit, and it's a public-facing job,
2: It's very tricky. That has to change because that's not just.
1: Yeah. Also, there's a part on those, I guess, on society to balance this thing because uh, we can't move to a point where we just take advantage of uh, of kindness. That's another side, advantage of kindness. We have to uh, recognize... That I'm saying we, I'm just making a general statement. Well, I go with the African American community, and I hope you don't mind. Uh, but
0: you're more qualified to speak to that community <laughs> than I am. <laughs> I,
1: I can see one or two people from time to time taking advantage of the system. Oh, yeah. Okay. I went to a store one time and I saw some late shoppers uh, not doing the regular time but they were from the Caucasian community or the so-called white community. I, I like—I don't like colors. I don't like to refer to people by colors, but they had a time that they did their shopping. It wasn't during the broad daylight, and they had EBT. What do they call it? The mm-hmm. EBT card?
0: Right. Um, food stamps. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But they were discreet. I'm saying they didn't do it during the regular time that people would see those big baskets loaded. So, the idea sometimes is that it's just African Americans who have the need for food, food stamps, stamps and food. But no, uh, someone was talking on TV the other day and they said you can go, it depends on the audience. You can go to some audiences and uh, it's nothing but, uh, it depends on where you are. Virginia, some, Ohio, and some of those places, it's nothing but uh, Caucasians in that
0: mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm.
1: They, need, they need help. Uh, jobs are not there, I mean, people are suffering, people are poor, but I think, politically, we, we tend to, media, elements, to focus on a certain segment of people, you know, a certain race of people.
2: You know, you remind me of the word of tribalism. You know, we all invest ourselves, or are invested in, against our will, in a tribe. You know, whether the tribe is a religious tribe or, you know, a club or whatever. But when we invest ourselves in a tribe, which is wonderful because we have a sense of belonging to that tribe, Mm -hmm. when the other comes along who is not a member of the tribe, are they inferior to the members of the tribe? Are they less than those who are on the inside, those who are on the outside? And and I think that that's the danger. More than a single person in my life has come up to me with the following complaint. They have said, religion is the problem that creates all the problems in the world. If there were no religion, everything would be fine. Because look at all the wars that have been fought in the name of religion. If we just get away with all this religious stuff, it would be great. And I understand where they're coming from because it's that idea of tribalism, Mm -hmm. The, the people within versus the people without. And that's the stuff that we have to learn how to divest ourselves
1: of. Yeah. But what about what about this this episode that Oprah had? I think she went to Italy or somewhere in one of those countries over there in, in Europe and the lady looked at her and told her it would be better, I think, for her for her to go to a cheaper place to shop. <laughs> hmm. They looked at her and it said because of her race or her colour of her skin she it'd be, it'd be a, better for you to go and shop at a cheaper place. <laughs> <laughs> I will buy that was
0: the a, store, yeah. <laughs> that was a, a bad day for that sales clerk.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, well, she tied the person to the right. so-called image of the race, you know. Right. And uh, you have that dual system going on, I think, from time to time.
0: Mm-hmm. So the challenge is, one, for individually as, as we and collectively to not enshrine bias into our law and for us to be able to look and see a person, not a color of socioeconomic status a religion. And on the other hand, there is also this requirement, I hear Omar saying, and I would agree that, in fact, it is also incumbent on us not to use whatever power we've got just for our own advantage. So if you're an advantaged person, you use that power to protect your own privilege. If you are an underprivileged person, you use whatever power you have to try and get what you think you deserve. The folks who want to not to do the work, who want to be given without the work. There's both of those things to balance. And they're both toxic.
1: Yeah, both toxic. You know, let let me just add one thing that, that I observed it's near Blythewood. I can't name the area, but they have homes out there, half-million-dollar homes, maybe on up. A whole neighborhood of African Americans. They don't show that when they... I'm just saying elements in the media. They show the inner cities. The inner city. <laughs> they show the, the projects. They don't show that development and how people are being productive and taking care of uh, their responsibilities. That children are, are, are being educated properly, intelligently. and But they show us a guy walking down the street with his pants hanging, you know, whatever. That, so that becomes a picture
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the race. And that's a big problem because then those who say, well, here comes the welfare society, here comes the, the what they call it, the socialists, uh, want to give them uh, monies, so that they can continue on just to ask for more money. And I think uh, Lightfoot uh, was the mayor out of uh, Chicago. She said she was given $500 a month, no questions asked. And when I looked at it, they, they was ident- she was trying to identify people who had real $500 a month. In Chicago, had some real issues that they were trying to address, but they were going to do a, a trial run on that now. I, th- I can't think of how many thousand, but when you say five hundred dollars a month added to whatever other low income you have, I mean, what can you really do with that in a major city? But it's it's assistance uh, that if people use it intelligently, maybe it could benefit them. So,
0: but yeah. if they don't, may dig them deeper into a, a a passive dependence.
1: Yeah, and if you create certain behavior then someone can identify that and say, see, lazy people, all they want is government handouts and things of that nature.
0: Right. And, and I guess I would say I, I resist saying is it either or. It's both and. Mm-hmm. Is there passive dependence? Absolutely. And is it just in poor people? No. I, I know some very wealthy families for whom passive dependence on the, the inheritance has become a way of life. So passive dependence is a a challenge and a threat for all of us. Are there those who take an opportunity and make more of it, who have, once they're given equal opportunity, can? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are. So it's both and. So then I would say I don't think at least from thinking of it from a Christian perspective, there's no command that everybody have the same income. You know, there's a story in the New Testament about the rich man, Lazarus and Dives. a a story that Jesus tells. And, And after the rich man dies, he ignores the poor man his whole life. He goes to Sheol and he sees the poor man and father abraham's bosom and he says send lazarus the poor man to dip his finger in the water to quench my thirst and father abraham says but you had your water you had what you needed and lazarus had nothing the condemnation is not for the wealth the condemnation is for the indifference
2: Mm.
0: for the ignorance and for the unwillingness to see that's the condemnation
2: and i think we'll all be held Ultimately responsible for the things that we ignore, for the things that we choose to look away from. In the, in the final analysis, I think we all believe in a final analysis, right yeah. a, a final yeah. judgment. And if I can just put this in more human terms for for a moment... I don't know of any eulogy that I've ever given for any person that has passed from this earth, extolling their virtues as somebody who aggrandized themselves, had a big house and lots of money and lots of cars. But the, and the, but the people who come out to remember those who have passed from this world are people who give, are people who try to, try mm-hmm. to make a level playing field and try to make a difference in the world, mm-hmm. not be indifferent.
1: Yeah, there, there, there's a a verse in the Qur'an that speaks to this very wealthy man, say, something like you were saying earlier. It says, get your share of this world, but be good to others as God has been good to you. But get your share of this of this world.
0: So what is my share? When I can look and see Cribs of the Rich and Famous and what the Kardashians have, what is mm-hmm. my share?
1: Well, it's, share, it, it's, it's saying that all of us have a share. But the rich man should get only his share. Don't take the shares of others. <laughs> but be good. Give back as God has been good to you.
0: Can uh, there be differences in oh, equity that, and wealth?
1: That, it, that's the reality of <laughs> <in> life. <laughs> that's the reality. Yeah. And God gives some more than he gives others, you know. Mm. And, uh, but the human value is still there. Like you said, you, you, you didn't. people don't. You don't know, extol their, 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 their stinginess and whatever, their, their, their massing of wealth, but you do the good people who give and recognize that this person uh, gave. I'm, you, you're right, I like that because most of the, the things that we mention always are those good virtues of the person. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, if I can change course just a little bit, I want to tell you an anecdote of a, a fellow who survived the Holocaust and came to America. And he never tired of saying, "I am so proud to pay taxes."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when somebody asked him, "Why are you so proud to pay taxes?" You know, it's not such a wonderful thing to have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm proud to pay taxes because this country protects me. There are there, there's an armed force. There are armed forces. There are police. Uh, there are people that that, that um, look out for my welfare all of the time. It is a privilege." <laughs> To pay taxes in a country where I'm getting this protection from from the country, and I th- only throw that out because mm-hmm. many people think that it's oppressive mm-hmm. that, w- that that we're just we're giving money away, we're throwing it throwing it for things that, that are frivolous that don't matter. But in fact, we're all the beneficiaries yeah. of the of the great gifts that we receive that we don't even acknowledge. And I'm talking about this country, but I, we can
1: expand this.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, let's stay with the country for a while because that's why I love it so now not because of the negative side, but because of the big value, the big positive side that it offers. And I remember in 1975, when our leader became Imam Wadidid Muhammad, he picked up the American flag, and some people felt kind of nervous. (laughs) He said, I'm picking up this flag for what it represents in terms of virtue, goodness, opportunities. Hmm. I'm not supporting the negative side. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then and then that's what I have come to appreciate myself. So that's why I think we need to give back.
2: So what we are saying is that what we love most about American living here is the possibility that there can be justice for all. I think if yeah.
0: those who have work to protect the the access to rights and equal and opportunity. So. I, I feel passionate, and I am worried about the state of education, not only in the state, but in this country. Yes. So we have said before, we know, and More Justice, our organization has taught us that prisons are built based on the literacy level of third graders. And what I know happened, at least in our congregation and the friends I know, is that the pandemic because of the struggles that the public schools had, we've had a lot of folks go. Some of them come back, but a lot of folks go to private schools. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've been a part of the public schools where my girls went, asking folks in a neighborhood to uh, invest in the local public schools, and having one dad say to me, "You know, I I pay my taxes, and then I pay tuition. I'm already giving you what you get, but I don't think they understand the need." of the kids who are in that school. And and if, if I have to appeal to their selfish best interest, I say, you know, if we cannot educate every child in the room, there will not be a gate strong enough or a fence tall enough to protect against the chaos that is coming. So if you don't do it out of love, mm-hmm. do it out of self-interest. Well spoken. Mm-hmm. Those who have have got to protect the have-nots.
2: Mm-hmm. And so we call this podcast Abraham's Table and because we're all children of Abraham, and all of faiths are stem from, and in the 18th chapter of the Book of Genesis, just before God confronts Abraham with what is about to happen with the impending doom of Sodom and Gomorrah, He says, "I've chosen you because you pursue justice. That, that's our home plate. Mm-hmm. That's our home base for us all. What we're called to do as people of faith, from that very inception, we're." Abraham becomes our, our, our collective father. He was chosen because he was a person that opted for justice. That's where we follow. That's yeah. where we must follow.
1: Yeah. So, so in speaking to the rich man in the Qur'an, he's not condemned because he's assertive and aggressive. He's just encouraged to give something back, as God has been good to him, give something back. And, and, and I have to say that you find philanthropists coming, people, philanthropy, they give, they, they're doing some great things, mm-hmm. yeah, some great things, and uh, I, I have to applaud them, uh, and when you find out about some of them, j- just like this gentleman who was, uh, he fell out on the field, you remember the football player? I can't think of his name right now. Yeah. And yeah. they revived him, and, but he had a program that he had that he was reaching out to give people, give back to younger people in the society. And I think it went up to about eight or nine million dollars. Maybe uh, people donating to that program that he had, that outreach program. So many doing things. That's just
0: well, cannot. But I would say one thing that might be helpful in this discussion is the distinction between mercy and justice. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of philanthropists and a lot of people who give and do great things, and that's not unimportant or insignificant. But while they are related concepts, meeting a need is not the same thing as equalizing the playing field or making sure that everybody has equal access to opportunities or uh, in the, you know, we can come up with all kinds of examples. So mercy and justice, they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. And I, I find on the the Christian white Christian end of things or the privileged Christian thing, whether white or black, that it's that mercy we're very comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Justice is much more uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: there 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 is a maybe not a gross difference, but a significant difference between mercy and justice. I associate mercy with feeling. You feel compassion for something and therefore you respond with compassion to the thing. What if you are called upon to help in a particular instance? You know, God places somebody in your way that needs your help, and you just feel no compassion. It happens, right? We're just in a bad mood. We're not really—you don't want to pay attention. Just had a fight with somebody. I think that that's where justice becomes so vital, and important. Even if I don't feel compelled to do the right thing, justice demands that I respond to it. My heart may not be in it, but that—thank God—I got something between my ears that can compel me to do the right thing, even if my heart does not.
1: That brings me back to chapter 4, verse 135 of the Quran. It says, O you who believe, O you who believe, stand out firmly for justice as witnesses to God, even as against yourself, yourselves, or your parents, or your kin, or whether it be against rich or poor. For Almighty God can best protect both. Follow not the lusts, of your hearts, lest you swerve, and if you distort justice or decline to do justice mm-hmm. so you know, like you said, you want to have something overriding how we feel, and I think that's where our religions come into they'll they, they bring us out of those slumps and bring us out of those phrasesous areas if if we if they're there if they're there, yeah, if they're there
2: and if they're not to to paraphrase Amos, who said uh, the prophet Amos who who says let justice flow like a mighty river yeah. and righteousness like a stream. What's the difference between a river and a stream? <laughs> justice,
1: <laughs> justice. Is it
2: needs to be the raging river that that overcomes all.
1: So Connell kind of West said it. Justice is what love looks like in public.
0: Thank you for joining us at Abraham's Table. This podcast is a labor of love produced by us, Imam Omar Shahid, Rabbi Jonathan Case, and Reverend Ellen Fowler Skidmore. The music, Shofar Worship, is shared with us kindly by the musician Kyle Lovett and may be found also on Spotify. We hope that you have benefited from, enjoyed our conversations, and will share them. You're invited always to communicate with us via email at Abraham's table, SC at gmail.com. So from Columbia, South Carolina, and until we meet again, we wish you God's peace.
1: Shalom,
2: Aleichem, peace in you.
1: Assalamu Aleikum. Peace be on all of us, and you too.